Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good Wednesday afternoon, everybody. Great to have you with us on the show today. We'll have a lot of fun as we work our way through uh, this one today, including in the uh, next half hour, we're going to go to Steelers camp, and we're going to hear more about what the Steelers are doing with Neil Kulong of USA Today. He's going to join us in the next half hour. So we're looking forward to hearing from Neil as well. But uh, obviously the trade front huge, the Phillies, Jake Arrieta pitched very well last night, timely hitting, and the Phillies get a split in Boston against the Red Sox, winning last night 3-1. to So a big win for the Phils. And again, the Ramos trade, I really like. I felt like, the number one, let's remember, in the deals that the Phillies made for Cabrera and for Ramos, the Phillies did not give up any of their top 30 prospects. Now, that's important. Uh, you know, the Phillies have tried to base. Now, you know how I feel. I'd rather have an established player than a prospect. All right. To me, somebody who has a track record, Wilson Ramos, for example, has a track record. But if you can make a deal like that and not give up one of your top 30 prospects in a farm system that's considered to be relatively deep, it's one of the top 10 farm systems in all of baseball. You can get away with not giving up one of your top 30 prospects to do something like this. I think I, I label that as brilliant. Even if Ramos does nothing, even if he doesn't do anything, uh, it's to me, it, it's a trade I would make again over and over and over. The reason is they're going to get themselves a veteran catcher on a team that has struggled at times hitting. He's a guy that is hitting 297. He's a guy that's hit 14 home runs last year, and he's really good behind the plate defensively. I thought that was a terrific deal. And getting Cabrera, same thing. Yeah, I know there's a log jam at at second base. You can move some parts around. I've got that. Because, I mean, Cabrera, you know, back in the day, Cabrera, when he was in the Indians organization, probably could play shortstop and do a, and do a great job. But arm strength-wise, on a consistent basis, he's now probably – a second baseman, but you already have Cesar Hernandez, and I'm, you know I'm a big Cesar Hernandez guy. I have been since the time I saw him at Williamsport. Played a dozen games against the Spikes, and I thought, that guy's a pretty good player. Uh, and now you can see what Hernandez does on an everyday basis for the Phils. But Ramos improves the club. Okay? He improves the club. Cabrera, I think, improves the club. I think the Phillies have done what they needed to do down the stretch. Now the Pirates, on the other hand, Pulled off the big deal yesterday with the Chris Archer deal where they picked up Archer. But it's not only picking up Archer, but it also fits in with what the Pirates' philosophy happens to be. They want to, they try to operate this thing on a budget. Well, Keela that they picked up from the Rangers, the closer, and Archer, whom they picked up yesterday from Tampa Bay for Tyler Glassdown at Austin Meadows and a player to be named later, uh... Both have years remaining on their contract, and they're both very franchise-friendly. I'll give you an example on Archer's contract. Archer still has three more seasons remaining on his contract in 19, 20, and 21. And the total of it's a little bit better than $27 million. 
It's an average of a little bit more than $9 million a year. That fits in perfectly with what the Pirates' philosophy is to get a guy that they think can be a frontline pitcher for them and lead their staff for a couple of years here. We'll see how it pans out for this particular year. But the Pirates, who are 26th in attendance, and last night they beat the Cubs 5-4, and they only drew last night. They only last night drew 18,000. That wasn't the greatest weather night, but still, they only drew 18,000 for the first-place Cubs last night. That was it. Uh, Pirate fans have not really responded to what's going on. Just have not. And that is that's an issue. But we'll see how they respond, when, especially when we get to weekend games, which are better attended. But the, one of the problems that baseball has, I'm going to get into this in the next uh, segment to set things up, is I think there needs to be a time, and I, they're not going to do it, but I think there needs to be a time when they need to really shorten the season. And when I mean really shorten the season... They need to carve out their own season instead of keep throwing their heads against the wall and trying to do it how it was done in the past when it was not the competition they have today. We'll talk about that in a moment. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome back to today's show brought to you by our good friends, the great people at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. They are the best. Always great to have them on board. Look, we get to do this because of they've been with us since day one. Day one. And we're in our seventh year now doing the show. We've got a lot coming up, too. It's going to be a great fall around here. We're going to have a lot of great guests on, talking a lot about football, Eagles, Steelers, and, of course, a lot on Penn State. Camp begins for the Nittany Lions Friday evening. Now, they're they're assembling tomorrow. I have the fact they've got the – here's the, the schedule. Freshman report and move into dormitory tomorrow morning at 8, 8 a.m. All right? No practice tomorrow. First practice is 520 on Friday. The media day is coming up on Saturday, so we're going to do a lot on Penn State football, a lot. Jack Cam and I really like what we see with this football team. Now let's get a read on camp, and we'll give you reads on camp as time goes. Uh, still to come on the uh, show today will be Neil Kulong from USA Today coming up in the next half hour. Looking forward to him talking about the Steelers and a lot of the NFL news in general. Now let's get to the problem Major League Baseball, I think one of the problems they have, and what I'm about to propose, they won't do. And I, probably financially they can't do it. Uh, when you're sitting there with a, with a Bryce Harper, for example, and people are telling him he might get the first $400 million contract. Look at Zach Greinke's contract with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Look at David Price's contract with the Red Sox and Kershaw's contract with the Dodgers. Um you have to be able to pay for those contracts, and the way you pay for it would be TV contracts, radio contracts, and yes, attendance, which means you have to be playing games. So, you know, I've talked before about Major League Baseball lopping off 18 games, which is nine home games for each uh, franchise to get it to 144, and they're not going to do that. 
Yeah, in fact, to be honest with you, I think they, might, they need even more radical surgery than just 18 games because right now the season ends right around September 30th. So if you knock 18 games off, two off days in there, uh, that's 20, so September 10th. I think they need to lop off. I think if they played a 130-game season, I think they'd have a better chance actually of succeeding with the fans because what does the NBA have going for it right now? And to a certain extent, the NHL. I mean, you know, the NHL doesn't have anywhere near the TV ratings for the Stanley Cup final that the NBA final has. But the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs, but primarily the NBA playoffs, don't have any competition. What's the competition for the NBA playoffs? Competition for major league for uh, for the NBA playoffs would be early season, regular season baseball, and the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. Maybe the Indianapolis Five Hundred. That's it. That's their competition when they get to their postseason. Same story for the Stanley Cup playoffs, but the NBA playoffs have been a rousing television success, and the NBA has marketed marketed itself brilliantly. Now let's get to Major League Baseball. What's their competition once they hit their golden time of the year? Pennant races get lost nationally because of the NFL and college football. The NFL and college football bury Major League Baseball. They bury them. Uh, it's just this is a this is a country that loves its football. Now you look at the Phillies. The Phillies are playing great, great, great. But what's going to be the dominant story the the second the Eagles take the field? The defending Super Bowl champion for the first time ever. You get to say the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. Even when the Eagles weren't Super Bowl champs, they owned that city. Now they're defending Super Bowl champs. The second they take the field, they will dominate and suck all the oxygen out of the baseball room. Even though the Phillies are having a magical summer, I think the Philly then I think the Phillies are having a magical summer. But I'm being realistic here. College football dominates the landscape across the country. You look at the opening weekend of the season. You have Penn State as Appalachian State, but the opening weekend includes Michigan and Notre Dame. Casual fans will watch Michigan and Notre Dame. The next weekend, Penn State plays Pitt. Now, these are these are college games taking place in the pennant race. Okay, The final weekend of the regular season in Major League Baseball will include Penn State and Ohio State at Beaver Stadium. Okay, The final weekend of the regular season in baseball will include Penn State and Ohio State at Beaver Stadium. Baseball has a problem because when you know football when they hit their playoffs, first of all, football's already popular. So the college football playoff, bowl games, and the NFL playoffs. The NFL playoffs are in January. What are they up against in January? Playoff wise. Their playoffs are up against regular season college basketball, regular season NBA, regular season NHL. Uh, and that's it. And college football, of course, 
has separate days. So, you know, so the NFL does not compete its game days against college football. So they've got it all to themselves. Okay, College football, bowl games during the course of the week. This is their postseason. College football playoff on the last Saturday of the calendar year. And then the championship game on, on a Monday night. Again, not up against significant competition. So college football has its postseason virtually to itself because, again, the NFL does not play the same days as a college football game. Okay? They've worked out a great arrangement there. Unless it's Thursday night, but that's a different story. All right. In the NFL playoffs, don't compete with anything significant. You notice the Daytona 500s two weeks after the Super Bowl. The NBA is the same thing. They hit their postseason. They got regular season baseball. You know, maybe a Kentucky Derby that may, for two minutes, for two minutes, take away from what's going on in the NBA playoffs. And the NBA finals really are uncontested. They just have regular season Major League Baseball. What does Major League Baseball have to contend with? Hey, they finally hit their zenith. At the end of September, and then it's time for October. Well, unfortunately, in October, you have college football, the NFL, bearing Major League Baseball. Now, they're never going to do this. They will never do this. They're going to stick with the you know, Maybe you might see a rollback to 154 games. Maybe. But the owners can't afford to lose dates. That's why you look at the NBA and the NHL, you're saying, why do they play 82 games? They probably should play 60, but they can't lose dates. And the NHL, it's the, the NHL does not make money for its franchises until after they're done with the second round of the playoffs. That's how extended they get. Now, their TV contracts are not in the same, the NHL TV contracts are not in the same realm as the NBA. I mean, the NBA is getting $2.6 billion a year now. But that's how long it takes, you know, them to make money. It's the same story in baseball. I mean, a lot of franchises don't make money until once they get to, you know, September. They finally clear that hurdle. I mean, we talk about, I was just talking earlier about Chris Archer's contract being so club-friendly. Well, yeah, it is club-friendly. Uh, and it fits their budget. Well, not all contracts are club-friendly. All right, they are they are club-friendly. Uh, that's why in the off season they make so much noise about free agency. But to me, we've hit August now. What's going on in August? You know, we used to kid the suit about this all the time. But I mean, August is as dead a month as there is in the sports calendar. Yeah, you got the Little League World Series. That's nice, okay? But that's that's nice. That's a nice event. ESPN does a great job covering it. Not a good job. ESPN does a great job of covering it. But the Little League World Series is a nice event, right? It's not life and death, even though certain organizations try to cheat to get there. I've never understood that. They're 12-year-olds. I don't get I don't get that part. Uh, and, yeah, you got the IndyCar race at Pocono, which is important locally. And you get training camp and football. Penn State's in camp starting uh, on Friday. And the Steelers are in Latrobe right now. And the Eagles are down in Philadelphia getting ready for the season. You don't have any competition in August. Baseball could really generate some juice and then maintain a little bit where they get the opening playoff games 
you know, right after Labor Day, before the you know, get the playoffs going, before the NFL starts on that Thursday night, and then they could really own September, you know, to a point against early season NFL games where it still feels like it's baseball season. I mean, to me, if they ended the season on August 31st, I think it would be really smart for Major League Baseball. I think it would help them so much, but they'll never do it because they can't lose the dates. I mean, you're you're asking now each club to lose 15 home dates apiece. In other words, lose 30 games, play a 130 or 132-game schedule. They'll never do it. But to me, if you want to put baseball in a position to have its best showcase... That's what they should do. In fact, I'd take it even further. I'd actually have the playoffs in the month of August. Right? Take that deadest sports month of the year, and it is dead. I mean, high school football this year is going to start on the 24th of August. But take take the deadest sports month of the year and use it to your advantage. You probably ought to end the season on like August 5th or 6th and then hit the playoffs and then do that. They'll never do it. But they should take advantage of one of the truly dead months of the year and make something out of it. They'll never do it. I understand exactly why they won't do it. But I think they do need to shorten the season because they're the only sport that goes up against major, major competition against their postseason. And the ratings reflect it. All right, bottom of the hour. Neil Kulong, next half hour as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back to today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. You'll cool along in a moment. I go back to something yesterday. We've had several comments about this. I said, look, every team in, 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 in Power 5 college football has to play at least 10 Power 5 teams, in my opinion. I mean, if, if, if Alabama, for example, which had played only nine last year, they played the fewest of any of the college football playoff teams. I mean, I think they, you know, everybody should play 10. Just a thought. All right, let's bring Neil Kulong in, USA Today. Welcome, Neil. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I, I, I enjoyed the conversation. What I was thinking, um, if you really want to mix things up, to, to whatever degree um, the, the committee gets stuck, 
have it be the team that uh, the team that gets into the team that had the most NFL draft picks the previous year. I, I would love to hear the reaction to that. Absolutely. Let's let's try it that way. See how it works. <laughs> <laughs> sure, there won't be any more controversy behind that. Than, no, uh, than what not. they currently have. It's always always good for a conversation. Yeah. Yep. We we just have to do less than everybody else. We're okay. All right. So. <laughs> Uh, the uh, Steelers to this point, uh, what did it mean emotionally, but also the jolt when Ryan Shazier was at camp and had a cane? Because I think a lot of people, you know, I think fans thought, okay, by the time camp rolled around, at least he'll be walking around and the whole thing, and he's far from that. Yeah, I, I think um, it, the, the team itself probably has a, a much stronger sense of uh, where Shazier is in, in terms of his progress, in terms of his recovery, than anybody else. Well, I think from a fan's perspective, um, I, I've heard it both ways. I've heard people that, that felt it was very inspiring, and other people uh, felt it was a, a very sobering moment um, when they're watching football, especially the, the you know the kind of the meat grinder that is training camp, uh, especially the first day when they pull on pads. Um, it, it really it, a lot of mixed emotions around it. I, I think um, by and large, it, it's still going to be fresh in people's minds. Um, to not see him out there um, and, and to kind of wonder what the Steelers are going to do at linebacker without the guy that really was poised to be an all-pro. You know, I mean, uh, the, the the newly minted leader of the defense, he'd been through enough, I think, to to kind of bring him into that status, playing for his contract. I mean, this really, it was going to be a big year for him. Um, looks a lot bigger now. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, he, he's hit the gym. You know, I, I definitely think he's putting the work in. He really hoped that uh, – you know, he's capable of, of living his life like anybody else will, let alone anything to, to do with uh, his ability to get back on the field. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, a tough situation, kind of a sobering reminder of what the game is. And if you hope, uh, to whatever degree, um, Ryan can stay with the organization and help out as best he can. Before the injury with Ryan Shazier in the lineup, the Steelers were sixth in the NFL against the run. I believe that's close. And I believe right around eighth in pass defense. After his exit, they were, I believe, 18th in pass defense and 28th against the run. Uh, how much is that, of course, the shock and the adjustment, but how much of it is the fact that they didn't have him? Yeah, just imagine what it would have been if the wild card round was week 17. <laughs> that would have, yeah. would have been a lot worse. Um, I, yeah. I think there are two parts to it, really. Um, to suggest, on one hand, that it's the lack of Shazier uh, kind of goes against uh, more of the issue being the presence of who was in there. I, I think it was the latter, to be honest. That, okay. That's nothing against Shazier as a player. I mean, a, a fantastic player, uh, a, a cornerstone of their defense. But they had no depth at that position. I mean, it really, it, it's, it's from a, a business standpoint, the team is built um, to, to spread the money around throughout their whole roster as best they can. And there are some positions that you really just – you can't prepare for an injury. You just can't. You can't pay everybody. So the reality is they didn't have anybody. They they put Vince Williams on a contract. Shazier was you know going to be on a contract soon enough. They weren't going to have the future money uh, to pay for a, a very competent backup. They needed guys um, you know signed for for cheaper on rookie contracts to fill those spots. And you had those spots filled by Tyler Medikevich, L.J. Fort, Sean Spence. These are not guys you want playing in the playoffs against a, a power-running team like Jacksonville, for sure. Um, Cincinnati did a number on them. Baltimore did a number on them. 
um, they, they got exposed. I mean, the, between the three of them, it, 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 you were looking at maybe an average NFL linebacker. I mean, they, 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 some can't cover, some can't defend the run very well, some didn't really know what they were doing and looked kind of out of shape. I mean, it just it, it was a nightmare position for them to lose. They just didn't have the depth to be able to cover it. So for me, it's, you know, certainly you lose the playmaking element of not having Shazier in there, but without a, a veteran um, to, to back up that spot, I don't think it's a coincidence now um, what they've done with that position to bring in a veteran to, to start and, and most likely start in, in uh, Bostic. And from that, hope that uh, Medikavich can get healthy and can learn enough to be a, a, a viable backup at both spots while playing on special teams. Um, it, it's tough. It, it's really just tough to balance it, and you have to kind of prepare that these guys are going to be able to play 16 games, and if not, uh, somebody like Medikavich is going to have to step up and play a lot better than he did last year. Uh, question was asked earlier on the show, and it's, it's an int- intriguing question. The Vikings signed Stefan Diggs to another big contract. People are asking, where are people finding the money to do this, and how clever do the contracts have to be sometimes to fit under the cap? I'm really glad you brought that up because, in all honesty, with what the Vikings are doing between Rob Brzezinski and, and um, um, it, Smith right now, um, how the Vikings are managing their roster from draft through free agency through uh, salary cap maintenance and everything, they've done a brilliant job. I, I really don't think they get enough credit for the amount of talent they've brought in. They found it all over the draft and through free agency. Uh, a, a big part of it is just the fact that they know that they have – um, a, a set amount locked in with their quarterback, but they were able to roll over cap dollars from season after season after season because they haven't paid a quarterback probably since since Favre. I mean, really, yeah. they, they haven't had anybody, and that was pre-CBA anyway. Um, they they just haven't done well at that position. And now they have a guy, hopefully uh, for their sake, that can you know bring them through. But they got great play out of Case Keenum last season, and the money. Uh, that they've had to this point has gone into the defensive side of the ball, and it, Mike Zimmer is no, you know, he's no stranger to a, a dominant defensive team. We've, we've seen that in Cincinnati uh, here for years when he was there, and he, he's built that in Minnesota. Um, they, they have a, a spoil of riches due to that that excess salary cap rolling over from past seasons that's caused by the fact they don't have a quarterback, and they haven't had to spend a whole lot of it up until this off season, which clearly uh, it was their plan. They wanted to go into it and sign. Uh, several of their key players, and they did. Um, I, I think talent for talent, um, Stephon Diggs is better than Adam Thielen is. And Thielen's a, a, an excellent receiver. might be the best route runner in the league outside of, of Antonio Brown. Um, Diggs is an all-around playmaker. He, he's going to get better the, the more that he grows. He was a fifth-round pick, and, and Thielen wasn't drafted. How many teams have the, the nucleus of uh, receivers among them that came from that far down uh, the, the, the pecking order? Um, from the draft, from free agency or whatever. These guys are, are making now pretty decent money um, to, to be dominant players in the NFL, and they came from nowhere. So with that, that means you have the opportunity to, to continue to draft well, which they've done. And you know the, the salary cap piece of it will figure itself out if you have the problem that, wow, I have too many guys that I need to pay. You know, A guy like Anthony Barr probably walks away because of that. Uh, Trey, Trey Waynes probably walks away because of that, but that's fine. You know, you, you've got Eric Kendricks there. Uh, it, it, you know, it, manning your, your linebacking unit, and you've got Arthur Rhodes who's one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. You know, th- these are all guys that they drafted in the first and second round. They've, they've done an excellent job of it, and now they're, they're taking it to the next level and locking the, the core group in long term. And Minnesota's probably a Super Bowl contender for the next three years now. Uh, and to that extent, you and I both know, everybody knows, that you cannot really win with mediocre quarterback play. 
at any level. I don't care if it's high school, college, pros. You can't win with mediocre quarterback play. Yet in the NFL, to get to quality quarterback play, and sometimes to get up to above average quarterback play, you overpay. Okay, now the next part. No team has ever won the Super Bowl with a quarterback making 12% of the cap. There are a lot of quarterbacks right now. So how, how do you balance that out? Because when they're when you're under that, like Seattle was, Russell Wilson getting a third-round contract, they built up the rest of the team. You just talked about Case Keaton. They built up the rest of the team. But what about the teams that have the expensive guys, and how tricky is it for them when they've got a great guy, but they can't put great around them? That, that's really, I, I think, the X that everyone in the NFL is trying to solve. But at the same time, that's exactly why you just saw uh, uh, with five quarterbacks drafted um, in the first round. And I, I, from a, a pure um, typical definition, is Lamar Jackson probably a first-round quarterback? No. no. But you need to have the guy in there that can kind of buy you some salary cap space. And the reason I say that is if anybody ran a clinic on that, it was the Baltimore Ravens back in the first part of the, of the, the decade. Um, they got good enough play from Joe Flacco that the, the quarterback position wasn't as much an issue as it, I, I think Steelers fans will probably make it out to be. He was decent enough of a quarterback, and they got him playing his best in his contract year. But the money that he was making allowed them to go out and sign um, it, it, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, the fullback, Vontae Leach, yeah. uh, to $3 million to play nine snaps a game. And those were nine great running plays because Vontae Leach was probably the best blocking fullback of his era. Um, they, they were able to stash Bryant McKinney uh, yep. for eight, nine weeks or whatever to keep him fresh for the playoffs because they knew he wasn't going to last. They, they were able to store up all of these players to make them a, a very versatile and very dangerous offensive team uh, because of the different things that they can throw out at everybody. And on top of that, they have a good defense because they're not paying their quarterback. I mean, the, the quarterback contract alone is worth three good NFL players. And the, the teams that don't have to worry about you, you put the threshold at 12%, I'm sure that's going to fluctuate over time. But that really is the moving benchmark. The second that you have to pay your quarterback is really when you know you better have your team in place. You have to lock everything down. And getting back to the Vikings, that's exactly what they feel they have right now. Um, now they have to spend, you have to, eventually you're going to have to spend money on a quarterback. And they're, they're doing that if you want to be good anyway. And they're doing that. But they were also able to lock in a lot of key players around that quarterback and not have the quarterback sign to a, you know, a, a cap crippling type of contract because they're innovative in the sense that they finally just said, you know what? Forget everything else. Don't worry about the, the total value of it. We're just going to give you the whole thing guaranteed over three years. How's that? We could play this up and make it a five-year deal with a bunch of dummy money that's going to screw up our cap position in the future. Never mind. We're, here, guarantee it. Fine. You know, this, this is where this is all going anyway. And really kind of the, the godfather of that is Tom Brady. You know, yeah, people haven't talked right. about this enough. Two extensions ago, Tom Brady's contract was fully guaranteed. Yeah. People, you know, for whatever reason, forget about that. But where are the Patriots today because of it? They're, they're able to sign whoever they need to sign. They, they can extend the players they need to extend because they're not paying a huge sum for their quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And I've mentioned that before, that Brady's contracts have opened the door for them to stay really highly relevant year in and year out. So let's bring it back home. What kind of job over the last five years do you think the Steelers have done in managing their cap? Um, they've had, I think, it, it, enough kind of cap calamity. There was a problem there that I think they kind of might have, you know, brought upon themselves um, in, in 2011 after the the, uh, uh, the new CBA was signed. Yeah. A couple 
Yeah, it really, the Lamar Woodley contract really hurt. Um, Troy Polamalu's uh, the, the dead money thing end of his contract was kind of a, uh, you know, a pig in the python type of deal. They had to kind of work through those things. But since then, they, you know, they, they were in good cap position and they, they have the ability to sign Le'Veon Bell. He just doesn't want to sign for what they're offering him. I think they gave him a, you know, a, an offer of a, a pretty good chunk of, of change. And keep in mind, they, they've got, you know, $10 million of Ryan Shazier's money counting against the cap right now as well. So um, that that's something that's going to go off the books, I would imagine, next year. Um, they'll they'll have the cap space available to be able to keep the guys that they need to keep. Um, and I I don't think we're done with signings yet either. I, I think there still might be an extension that they'll give out here uh, before training camp ends. Um, they they have the players that they need to have signed locked up right now, uh, with the exception of I mean, if you want to count Chris Boswell. Um, they'll they'll probably get some type of deal worked out for him. Uh, next up is is Roethlisberger, and the question then comes down to: Does he follow the trend? Uh, how long of a contract does he really want? Um, what what's the team going to be willing to give him? With all of that, they have the cap flexibility now to be able to handle it. I, I think they might have you know kind of messed up a little bit uh, at the beginning of the CBA, but they also brought in um, Samir Khan to to handle the salary cap after that point. The moves they've made since then have been a little bit more reasonable, and they haven't you know jumped to keep everybody that they possibly can. Um, on board at the same time are those players good enough that's another question but at the very least they're not in a real tough cap situation right now obviously with injuries you can have bad fortune ryan says here what kind of good fortune injury wise did the steelers end up with with ramon foster you know i i've been a big bj finney fan uh for a while i i've, I've really been impressed with uh, a college center moving to guard, it doesn't seem like it might be the biggest deal in the world. It really kind of depends on your offense. It shows, though, that if, if he's in college, unless you've got two just behemoths next to you, it probably means you're, you're, uh, you might be big enough for both positions, but he's smart enough to play center, and that's where they want him. If he's functionally able to play guard at the NFL after playing center in college, you know, it means he got bigger. He put on weight, and he's probably, I would assume anyway, still a, a smart player. Uh, he plays smart. He really doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. He's not uh, he's not David DeCastro in terms of ability, but very few are. What you have with him, though, in my opinion, is Ramon Foster. The only difference is Foster went from tackle, and he played in the NFL at, at, at the tackle. He came into the Steelers as a tackle. Uh, he transitioned to guard. Finney, if he goes from center to guard, he's able to play both positions. This really is the, the one thing um, nobody can really knock the Steelers for over the last couple of years, but how well they've managed their offensive line. And, and to me, that really starts and finishes with Mike Munchak. Um, Steelers fans talk up and down about how great he is, and you know he's never going to leave Pittsburgh. <laughs> like, somebody's going to drive a dump truck full of money up to him eventually. <laughs> if, if B.J. Finney gets into the league and he's an outstanding player the same way that Kelvin Beecham became an outstanding player. Alejandro Villanueva became an outstanding player. Chris Hubbard. All of these guys come from absolutely nowhere. And look at the job that Munchak has done with them. Um, Finney's going to be the next one, in my opinion. Unfortunately, Ramon Foster's a great guy. He's a great stealer, uh, an ambassador to the brand, and an, an excellent football player. To a point, I might even say he's one of the most underrated players in the game for what he's making and for as good as he is. He's another guy that, that's really done well under the tutelage of, of Munchak. Um, putting all that together, if, if Finney is able to come in and maintain the consistency that they've had, which I, I think he's going to be the opportunity to do next season, um, it really just goes to show that Munchak's the best position coach in the game. I mean, it just really doesn't get any better than that. There, there isn't a question mark on the Steelers' offensive line, and they're able to, to reload every single year with undrafted free agents. They do it all the time. Well, I, I want to stay on Munchak for a moment. Obviously, Mike is a, is a Penn State grad. Uh, was drafted, I think, well, I'll say seventh overall by the Houston Oilers. 
he had an awesome career, right? In both in college and in the NFL, awesome career. Sometimes guys who are really good and have awesome careers don't know how to translate that knowledge because some of it comes so naturally to them. They don't know how to translate the knowledge to somebody else. What is it about Munchak that allows him to be an effective teacher while also having the background of being a great player? And you're, and you're absolutely right. Those are, are definitely two completely different skill sets. Um, it, it, in fact, I'd even say it, it's rare. I don't, I don't know how many Hall of Fame players uh, also became it, outstanding, excellent coaches. And let's keep in mind, too, as a head coach, um, he did a decent job. The, the Titans were not a bad team. The, the reason right. um, he resigned, he was, or uh, technically he was fired, but um, the ownership kind of stepped in. And let's, let's keep in mind how screwy that the Titans' ownership has been for the last <laughs> several years. Yes. Um, they came in and said, basically, here are the coaches that we want you to hire. If you want to be a head coach, these are the changes you're going to make. And Munchak said, no, thanks. So he left. And from there, the, the narrative is he just wants to be a position coach. This is just what he wants to coach. Money tends to change things. I think eventually he's going to find a, a, a better situation for him as a head coach. Um, and I, I, for the sake of the Steelers, I hope that day doesn't come. But if anybody's earned that at this point, it's Munchak. Um, the, the big thing I have noticed with Munchak and what offensive linemen have, have told me about him is exactly what you said. He is an excellent teacher. You know, and then they talk about how he's a Hall of Fame player, eighth overall pick back in 1982. Um, He's a great player. He knows the position, but they all talk about how great of a teacher he is first, how great of a communicator he is first. And I think that's the root of everything. I mean, Mike Tomlin never sniffed the NFL. He had no prayer of ever doing that. He's put together a pretty nice career for himself. it's, It's not about your ability to play the game. It's your ability to teach others who can play the game how to do it right. And it, with, with Munchak, it's just, you can see it. He's very level-headed, um, with the exception of a Bengals player, you know, going after a Steelers and a Steelers player on the sideline and having to grab onto his head or whatever that was, uh, back in the playoffs <laughs> a couple of years ago. But everything everybody talks about with him is he, he has the pedigree. Nobody questions that, but he knows how to teach it. He knows exactly what they need to do. And they're all on the same page all the time. You rarely see offensive line breakdowns consistently um, among the Steelers. And you might remember before Munchak came, that was a gong show on the oh. offensive line. They were, they were just yes. ridiculously bad a couple of those years. Yeah. Uh, the, the guys that they had in the past, it, it, some serious problems uh, among the offensive coaches that uh, were, were on the line for the Steelers in the past. Let's see. We want you to change staff. Here's the guys we want. And he says no. I wonder where he got that idea from over the years. All right. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I wonder where that idea ever was planted. All right. Neil, always a pleasure. Appreciate it. As always, great conversation, my friend. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. We'll talk to you. Neil Kulai, USA Today. Always great to talk with him. Great to have you with us today. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. One more hour to go. We're looking forward to it. Great to have you with us on the show today as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK.